You're listening to the Empowered Divorce Podcast, where women support women who have experienced betrayal trauma and abuse and are now facing divorce. Here, you'll learn tools and concepts to help guide your journey from a place of empowerment by trusting yourself and becoming the chooser in your life. I'm your host, Amy Woolsey. Thanks for joining. Hello, hello, my amazing, beautiful listeners. How are you? Thank you for being here with me today and other women as we support each other through an empowered divorce. All right. I also really am so grateful. I just want to mention really quick, I've been getting more of your stories as you guys are sending those in. It's just so, it's so humbling. And I really appreciate your all's vulnerability and sharing your story. And I just got to say these women that I'm interviewing and hearing their story and they're giving voice and space to their truth. I can't tell you how many times after we're done in the interview and I stop recording and tears just start flowing down their faces because they feel so liberated and so empowered to be able to give voice to their truth and their experience. So thank you for being a part of that and holding space. It's one of the main reasons why I wanted to do this is to hold that space and give a platform for women to be able to tell their story. I was just, Alana and I were just in a training for therapeutic disclosures. And as I was sitting there listening to how these formal therapeutic disclosures happen and how these women in the relationships are going to get all of the facts and all of the truth and all of the honesty, and we do them with polygraph. And I'm sitting there just thinking to myself, like, wow, I never had and never will get the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? And how many women who get divorced after betrayal will also never get the truth and never have all of the facts and how that really can be a hang up around moving forward when, when your brain is still trying to put some of those pieces of the puzzle together, like it has a little bit of this truth and kind of some of this truth, but it's still not the whole picture. And so it'll loop and loop and loop. And this is where a lot of those intrusive thoughts, ruminating thoughts, spinning thoughts can can come from. It's from not having all of the facts to your experience. And so you had this, this disclosure and whatever you do know isn't the whole truth. So it really can keep you stuck from healing and moving forward. And so anyways, while I was in that disclosure, I had this idea and I pulled up my Google Doc and I started typing all of this workshop out three days. I'm like, boom, put it together. Alana's in the training with me, right? And so I sent it to her and I'm like, look at your Google Docs. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. She's like, oh my gosh, it is going to be amazing. So I really am excited. I have come up with some tools and some things that you can do to give a little bit of that closure to the fact that you're not going to have a full disclosure. So be looking forward to that. I am, I know that this will be really powerful and impactful. And it goes along with what I'm talking about today because when you get divorced, I don't know about you, but I remember I had a lot of people, family, friends. I take that back. Not so much friends because a lot of friends just totally bailed once I got divorced. But I did have a lot of maybe people in my church congregation. A lot of the comments were, it's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. I know that my parents were saying that like on repeat, trying to reassure me, like, you're going to be okay. And that's super great. (laughs) And you're just, even logically, you're like, oh, I may be okay, but what the frick do I do in the meantime, right? So right after you get divorced, 
there's so much still happening and still processing. And you might have logically understand that things will be okay, or you have people telling you this, but it certainly doesn't feel that way. And that's what I'm going to address today and offer you a couple thoughts around. But first, I want to start with a story, an experience that happened to me. I had just left with my kids from Kentucky, drove from Kentucky to Arizona with just a few boxes in our car, left my ex-husband at the time, and moved in with my parents. And it was really this last ditch two by four wake up, do the things or just can't work kind of thing. But anyways, probably maybe two Sundays from being there, I was sitting in my parents' church congregation and I was on the pew and I had my arms folded and my head down and my shoulders were just punched over and just sobbing, like completely sobbing through the whole sermon. And my hair was pulled down like over my eyes to like size of my face to like cover my eyes so no one could see like the literal sobbing that was going on. And then the service was over and people started filtering out and I just, I couldn't move. I was like frozen on that pew and I didn't want to move. Definitely in that, that freeze shutdown mode for sure. So anyways, I had this woman that I didn't know from the congregation. She came over and she sat next to me and she said, I don't know you and you don't know me, but I know this pain. And I want you to know that it gets better. And she put her arm around me, like on my shoulder, just for a minute, and then left. And I just sobbed even more. Like tears, like it was the ugly cry, right? That beautiful, ugly cry, like massive emotion. And really it was like two things. First, I was crying because I was just literally sitting there like, oh, thank God someone sees me, like actually gets it. And I didn't even have to explain, right? There wasn't a what's wrong. This woman literally just knew and said, I see you. And so crying because I was seen without having to explain. And if there was the, oh God, someone sees me, <laughs> right? Like, oh boy, very vulnerable right now, right in this moment. But I, I want to start this episode off with passing along this beautiful woman's hope for she too had experienced divorce and was remarried and knew the pain and knew the suffering and knew that it wouldn't be like this forever. And I promise it does get better. Now, what the hell do we do in the meantime? And this is what I want to focus on today because as much as those words from others and even me are kind and logically, we may know that, okay, we're, we're going to be fine. It will be fine, but not really helping right now because I'm not freaking fine. So in the meantime, when everything has blown up, there's chaos. You are not content with the situation and you're still trying to make sense of what happened. And so much more might even be trickling out as you're watching this man that you thought you knew, but clearly don't behave in a way that just doesn't make sense. You're still grieving the man that you thought you knew and loved, but with all this information and yet still so much unknown information, you're wondering maybe what's wrong with me that I didn't see this? How could I have missed this? Am I really that out, out of touch with reality? Was I really happy on that vacation? I thought we were. Uh, clearly things are not fine right now. And you're trying to heal and move forward and yet we're sometimes 
looking for these milestones in the journey to signify that we've like arrived at this point of healing. So we can be like, check, don't have to deal with that now on to the next milestone. And it's just, this journey just doesn't work that way. I'm thinking of my granddaughter right now, my little grandbaby, and we're observing and watching her milestones of her growth. She rolls over and we know that when she rolls over, the next thing that's coming is crawling. And then after that, she's going to be standing up, pulling herself up on the couch. And then we know she's going to practice taking steps and then she's going to be walking. Like we're, we know the trajectory of her growth and healing and betrayal and divorce just doesn't look that way. I would love to answer all of you who have asked me the question, like, when does this shit get easier? There just is no answer because we're all different and because there's no timeline, there's no arrival, meaning we are always growing and I'm not going to sugarcoat this trauma. It is going to be hard. I mean, look, I'm remarried. I've been working on my journey since 2014. I've got coaches. I've got a therapist and there are still pieces in my healing that get uncovered and exposed and highlighted by new experiences. And life has always given me an opportunity to be aware and to accept and to choose into growth. And so for me, letting go of the so-called milestone markers really helped me be more in the present and with the experience without judging myself or shaming myself or thinking that I should be somewhere else than I am. And signed divorce papers is not the finish line. I don't remember what group it was, but I had a woman make that comment. She was just, this is the milestone. I just need to get divorced and get those paper signs and then signed and then everything's going to be okay. And I'm just going, no, I'm going to push back on that just lovingly <laughs> because we've got to have some realistic expectations in order to have an empowered divorce. And that's what I'm all about is empowering you. And that means having some realistic expectations of what this journey looks like. I was talking about overwhelm in the previous episode you might have been dealing with this for years, right? And working up to this actual signing of the papers. And you've used all of your reserves to get that wrapped up, right? Staying up late at night, filling out papers, calling your attorney, digging through files. Oh my gosh, all the things. And now you're just tapped out. And when you see that there's more to figure out, new boundaries to create, more information to absorb around maybe some more trickle disclosures, and more information to absorb about what he was really into and what he is doing. It's just so imperative to do this work to self-regulate and ground and self-love. So yes, it gets better and you will move through and pass certain pieces. But in the meantime, you are finding yourself again. You are rebuilding parts of your life that you want to keep and creating new in areas that you want to let go of. And this is the part that we can't skip over, the in the meantime parts. Someone will jump into new relationships because they feel a sense of newness in themselves and that distraction can help them let go of the old, but they're skipping over the in the meantime work that just can't be skipped over. It will catch up to them at some point, which is why statistics around the second and third divorces are so much higher. We need to process what's happened and grieving our relationships and reconnecting our brain and our body and our emotions, widen that window of tolerance, manage our triggers, validate our trauma responses. So in the meantime, 
is our grieving, those different stages. I want to point out a couple things that we often skip over. In the meantime, is our grieving, and there's stages to this. I know I've talked about grief before, but maybe you pick up something different this time in this context. So number one of, yes, things will get better, but in the meantime, what the hell do I do? Number one is recognize where you perhaps are in denial. You can be divorced, separated in the process of divorcing, and there can be denial that after these papers are signed, you're going to feel free and perhaps in denial to the stages of grief that it will be hard for a while. This can be perpetuated by people saying things like, why aren't you happy, right? Why are you still depressed? Just ignore him. He's not your problem anymore. And yes, logically, this is where we want to get. But we're grieving and thinking about what was and what should have been. And if we're ignoring those parts, then we're in denial. We can also be in denial that we might have to make some lifestyle changes and changes in how much time we have with our children. Now that we're sharing custody, denial that maybe we need to work more hours or work outside of the home at all, or this might require a change in our living circumstances. I mean, my parents are saints for letting me and my four kids live there, but that's not easy or ideal for anyone. But we can also be in denial in the meantime by trying really hard after divorce to look so good, right? Like I have got everything together. Like I want him to see that I am better without him. And I want him to see that I am not affected by his terrible choices. And I want everyone else to see that I'm not crazy. I'm not the crazy one. And I want my kids to see that I'm really the good parent here, right? And look, no judgment. I totally did this. And it's really denial because it's putting off the grief work. If we're just jumping into this, look, my life is great. It's covering how much grief and healing that is required from this kind of divorce. Binging on Netflix, drinking, even overextending ourselves in air quote good things can cover up the pain and the anguish and the real feelings that are needing to be processed. Okay, another in the meantime stage is the blaming stage. So while everyone is telling me things will get better, I'm blaming him for everything. Now, in this stage, we can become more aware of and conscientious of the blaming and move through. So before it gets better, we want to be aware of all of those thoughts that are shifting into the blaming stage. This can be recognized simply in how we tell our stories, right? When someone asks what happened, why did the marriage end? How do you answer? This is a little trickier. I just want to hold space. This is a little trickier for those of us who have partners who cheated and had an addiction and chose not to get that help and step into recovery or choose to stay. And I really just want to validate that this is not your fault. This is why some divorce coaches or podcasts can create more and even confuse others who don't know anything about divorce after betrayal. They'll say things like, but takes two to tango. Oh my gosh, if I had a dollar for every time someone said that, I wouldn't have needed to work. It takes two to tango or you contributed to this too. And I'm air quoting here. One of my favorite comments was from an ecclesiastical leader at one point. Who, now it's important to look to yourself for what you might have done to contribute to the demise of your relationship. Like literally this after I'm telling him that I found out about sexual acting out before I even knew the guy. So no, <laughs> thank you, but no. So when I say we need to move out of blame, let me be very clear here. 
when someone says we need to take ownership in the part that you play, I think it's better said, let's take ownership of what's in our control bubble and not take ownership for what's not in our control bubble. So we're not going to get caught up in the people or the emotions or the situations where we have no power to choose or to impact. So this means like how this kind of looks tangibly is when my ex brings yet another woman again into the picture and my kids are having really big feelings about it. Those feelings are theirs. They can have them and they are the only ones that can control them. So if I'm in blame, then this is going to look like me thinking, damn it, bleep. He's causing my children so much pain. And now I'm the one that has to swoop in and fix it and deal with it with all of my kids' big emotions. Okay. Shifting out of blame is going to look like, wow, I see how my children are having a lot of thoughts about their father's choices and choices in women. And they are having a lot of feels around it. How can I make it safe for them to feel their feelings and process? So do you see the difference? This is the in the meantime work, recognizing the blame thoughts and making the conscious shift. And if you don't have children together, then the same principle applies. Say you're impacted by his choices to the point where you're needing to move and get distance and create boundaries. And so rather than saying, I have to move because I can't be in the same town as him, let's just notice those words. I have to and I can't because of him. That's a blaming that keeps you in victim, right? That keeps you in a very disempowered, non-agent power mode because the truth is you don't have to do anything, right? You don't have to, and you can stay in the same town. But what I'm hearing is that if you are, then you're experiencing triggers and fear, perhaps going places because you don't know if you're going to run into him or his affair partner is going to show up. And so you'd like to choose a different experience. So now it's I choose because I want to have a different experience. Totally different energy, right? This is definitely moving on a victim into into thriver. But when you have an abuser, narcissist for an ex, there are very real situations that are impacting you. And it could feel very disempowering, very power over And so I want to hold space for that aspect too. Again, there's a lot of times these concepts or tools that we hear around divorce and it's just like, okay, that doesn't apply to me because I'm dealing with with a narcissist. I, gosh dang, could have a whole episode around that. I know there's a whole lot of nuances to this. So I'm just going to give a little bit of an overview here. Really, I just want to validate how this can be really, really difficult and challenging. So in that regard, we need to do some very individual work around creating boundaries and working around your thoughts, your feelings, and what your actions are, especially to stay as grounded as possible and not get sucked back into their power tactics. Because just because you get a divorce, if you're divorcing an abuser, it most often gets worse before it gets better. And it it most often looks worse even after divorce. So we want to take some time individually to really look at all of these perhaps backdoor tactics that they're using to still try and gain power over. And yet it's still really important to not give them the power (laughs) and blame them. So very, very tricky, nuanced space there. That's why I I really do like that individual work, especially with clients who are dealing with a lot of that abuse because there's a lot of nuances to that. Okay, the next in the meantime are the resentments. So yes, it will get better, 
But before it can, we need to be aware, acknowledge, and validate all of our resentments, which can help with the blaming stage two a little bit. So when we have not received a full disclosure and you're missing parts of the truth and there's a lot of life changes that you're now being impacted by because of the choices and the abuse of this person, which living a double life and lying to you about it, knowing that their actions are impacting you in a very literal way and not being honest about it makes you feel crazy. This is abuse. Okay. So yeah, resentment. And I know a lot of women will have hard time with these pieces like the resentment and the other stage of grief, like anger, even rage. This is where I do a lot of individual work around feeling your feelings and not making any of these emotions or these experiences mean anything about you, your worth, your value, your enoughness. It has nothing to do with being Christ-like, not being Christ-like. We've got to really take a step back and get some clarity around that because the reality is for those of you who are feeling resentment and anger, that's what you're feeling. And so when we're trying to shove it down or righteous our way out of it, pray out of it, right? Talk our way out of it, numb our way out of it. This isn't helpful. This isn't healing. It's not moving through. And this is the in the meantime work. And so what I'm offering you is to lean into this and it's going to for some of you feel a little bass backwards, but go with me here, okay? We want to be able to hold space for these resent. And one of my favorite tools to do this with is a burn journal. This isn't like for your posterity, pass down, look at what I felt, about your father, children kind of book, right? This is the cheap Walmart, black and white notebooks for 50 cents that I just get out all of my feelings, all of my resentments, all of my four-letter words, all the things, get it out on paper, scribble, draw pictures, whatever you need to do, and then burn it. I've had some clients tell me, gosh, creative woman. There's one that does one every month. She has a stack of these cheap notebooks and she does one a month. And so for the whole month, she writes in this burn journal, all the things, all the resentments, and then has like a burn party. She goes out into her backyard, puts it, lights it up, sits there and has her glass of wine. So hilarious. I love it. I've also, one of my favorites too, is I had a woman say that she and a couple other women who are going through divorce had a burn journal party. <laughs> so they all grabbed their burn journals together and burned them and had a little party together, which I love that support. That's super fun. So making space for the resentment is definitely in the meantime kind of work. All right. Another part of your healing and growth is getting to a place of finding meaning. I'm going to refer you to David Kessler's sixth stage of the grief cycle called Finding Meaning. So he wrote the book with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on grief and grieving and then after she passed, he actually started finding in his work that there's a sixth stage and that's called finding meaning and how important this is as part of the in the meantime. I think this can be scary stage and you'll know when you're ready for it. So this is nothing, right? We're not doing the milestone markers here. This is just, you'll know when you're ready for this. I think that sometimes I've seen women jump into this too soon right? There's, there's some other pieces that we need to see and visit that are showing up that they're ignoring or numbing out to because they think this finding meaning stage is better or more righteous or whatever. And so they're jumping to it. We've got to really know when we're truly ready for this stage. 
and we don't want to bypass it. This too is when jumping into a new relationship before we make space for this piece can backfire. And at some point it will catch up to you. One of the big hangups too that I find that gets in the way of finding meaning is the why questions. Like, why did he cheat? Why did he do this? Why did he do that? Why didn't I know? Why did I have to find out this way? Why did I marry him? All the whys. And there's no satisfying answer to the whys, to why the person you loved and thought loved you did this. But finding meaning is still possible. Noting all the good that you received from this person and the relationship is part of finding meaning. In my up and coming interview, I'm not sure when it's going to air, but I have an interview coming up with a friend of mine, Julie, who talks about how much she learned from her ex around construction and how it helped her get to this place that she's in now where she's running her own construction business. She found meaning in that relationship. Does it negate all of the impact and all of the reality pieces of his betrayal? No, but to help her move forward in her journey, she intentionally chose to look for the meaning for what she did get from that. This can be children came from the relationship, right? I'm never going to trade that. Or perhaps you're less judgmental with other women. Maybe before this experience, you were judgmental about women who got divorced. And maybe this completely shifted that for you. That's finding meaning. Maybe you're more compassionate with yourself. Maybe that's something that you're now finding meaning in is a lot of compassion for the past self. This is where self-forgiveness can come in. So things will get better when we lean into the stage of finding meaning again. There is time for this. And if the time is not now, then that's okay. This is also why my Believing in You group coaching program isn't for everyone. And those of you who are ready to start finding meaning and looking at this piece are ready for this group. It really is so amazing to see the growth in these women who are stepping into this piece of their journey and because of this are able to start creating the life that they want. And they're starting to look back and see it does get better. So I'm going to pause right here and let you sit with those concepts for now. I know there's a couple more things that could be said, but for those of you who have hope that things will get better, that it's possible, but are in the meantime space, just get curious. Get curious around the denial, the blame, the resentments. And when you're ready to lean into the finding meaning, if you need additional support to help you, what you can't see into your own brain, then coaching absolutely will support you in this part of your journey. You are doing amazing. One moment at a time, and I will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Are you considering dating after divorce? Are you afraid to date after divorce? Then this is for you. No matter where you are at, learning how to be the best version of you is where we start. So join my Dating After Divorce three-day workshop. You don't want to miss it because learning to love yourself first is a choice and you are the chooser in your life. So choose you and sign up. You have the power to create the life you want and the dating experience you want one step at a time. The link to that class is in the show notes and I will see you soon. Take care.